dark days are done and the bright days are here. My sunny one shines so sincere. Sunny one so true. Our next guest is one of those rare talents who has something to say and can say it funny. He's a writer-performer on the new Laugh-In and one of the most popular, outspoken, and entertaining personalities on the local news here in Los Angeles. He's won a half a dozen Emmys as a film critic and host of his own shows. Let's welcome Mr. John Barber, right over there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is John Barber. That was Sarita singing Sonny with the Joe Pass Trio and Frank Sinatra saying, here's Johnny, the night he hosted The Tonight Show. Welcome live to our first show of 2018, which I think we should only begin fittingly by taking a look backwards at 2017's top stories to see if they are 2018's preview of coming attractions or distractions. There is no one more qualified or articulate or as informed about them as Joe Satilli, my cohort and co-conspirator here on the show. Every show, he's the creator of the perfectly newly designed Real Journalist Daily Journal News Vandal. Now, for the first time, Joe and I are going to open the phone so you can chip in your two cents worth or your common sense worth. The number is 888-627-6888. Zero, zero, 008. I repeat, the number is 888-627-6008. And all you have to do when you call in, give us your first name, where you're calling from. You can talk about anything you wish. You will not be censored or belittled. But just before I get to Joe and before I get to you, I have to get this off my chest about something on television last night. Not Oprah, not Oprah. Maybe we'll get to that later later or maybe joe will or maybe you will every once in a while i watch a cbs crime drama because it's pretty good fiction but i never ever watch cbs news because it's pretty bad fiction they're the outfit that gave us charlie rose for years and gave history america's best known work of published fiction the warren report Last night, though, while looking for the Vegas Golden Knights hockey game, I accidentally stumbled on 60 Minutes, which should more honestly be called 48 Minutes because it's 12 minutes of commercials, mostly magic pharmaceuticals, which is more fiction. Anyway, the story, fortunately for me, was the first one they did, and it was a story about Russia Today. This I had to watch. And why? Because right off, We know it's going to be an attack on Russia today. For what else? Of course, for how they helped Trump, elected president, by trumpeting endless stories about Hillary and her husband, who should be in jail. To lead this attack, CBS sent to Moscow their senior female reporter. Actually, their super senior female reporter, Leslie Stahl. And the reason they sent a woman to do a reporter's job is that CBS management felt it would be unfair for a man to go to confront 
the 42-year-old woman who heads up Russia today. Well, it turned out to be totally unfair, especially to Leslie Stahl. CBS could have sent every one of their geriatric gentlemen journalists to Moscow to confront this 42-year-old who became head of Russia today 20 years ago when she was 22. She would have buried them all. And how did a woman raised in a family so poor their pets were rats bury one of our leading lady journalists just by reciting the facts? Something we only seem to hear nowadays from Russians and renegades on Facebook. When Leslie pointed out that Russia Today ran mainly stories attacking Hillary and few attacking Trump, RT's president pointed out the stories favored neither candidate because she said she was hoping America would elect someone friendlier to Russia, and she pointed out that that certainly never happened. Then the lady pointed out that England and France and especially every American media network ran nothing but stories trashing Trump and nothing but hosannas for Hillary's imminent success to become the first woman president of the United States. Then she asked, Leslie, did 60 Minutes ever go to the heads of English and French and all American networks and ask, why Hillary? There were scores of examples of how Leslie floundered under this flurry of simple facts, a total mismatch, a lot like a local bookie here in Vegas setting up shop in front of Caesar's Palace. If you don't mind watching an unfair but informing fight, Google last night's first story on 60 Minutes. For me, though, there were two things I truthfully felt really good about. One was that it was indeed refreshing and wonderful to hear the truth on an American news show, even if it came from Russians. The other reason is we all know, everyone over four years of age knows that in this country, we have interfered with and altered or tried to alter the government almost, almost of every country in the world for over a hundred years. Mark Twain even complained about it. That makes us the world's biggest bully, and nobody likes a bully. Now, against Russia or maybe anyone else, we may win the war of weapons. But if last night is any indication, if we get to hear more of what the Russians really have to say, they may finally just win the war of words. So anyway, that's finally off my chest, and it seems to be very appropriate that while I was thinking about this, my cohort, the brilliant Joe Satilli, came up with an unbelievable article which he posted on Facebook today, and I shared. And Joe, welcome to the show, and it is serendipity that you have done this on our first show when we're going to be opening up and talking to the folks. So tell us, what I know you're not necessarily a fan of Trump's, I mean, I ignore him because I consider him the male Kardashian. And I, <laughs> I, and I think that you would probably agree that the biggest story of 2017 would be the inauguration of Donald Trump as president, the only president in American history to be sworn in and sworn at at the first time. So, so 
tell me what on earth prompted you, somebody not really a Trump fan, to write this wonderful article? And what's well, it called? Yeah, and it's not even about being a Trump fan or a Trump devotee or a fan of this person or that person. I'm, you know, I'm kind of a, I, tr I try to be on some level a watchdog about how the media does its job because that's what I'm most concerned with. That's what, that's what gets under my skin. I watched the Leslie Stahl report last night and, you know, as somebody who was a, a news producer uh, and executive producer and I worked on magazine shows, we got a couple statues for our show over there in, in DC. They do hand those things out like Halloween candy, but that's fine. Uh, it was even, it was just a badly done segment. It was poorly edited. They didn't even do their research properly. I went to RT today to watch to see how they reacted to it. They just blew holes in a lot of what they were doing and what they were claiming. They, you know, they showed a picture of Alex Jones on RT. They said he hasn't even been on our, our, on the air here in over six years, you know, they, there are ways to, you know, this is the thing that gets me. There are ways to attack RT because, you know, when I put together the rundown, I use RT generally if I want to give the Russians perspective on a story. So if I have a story that the post is running, I want to run a counter story next to it so that you can compare the two, the two approaches. And so I turn to RT or TASS to get that perspective and it's good for that purpose but as like a straight news source i tend not to rely on rt because i think rt is 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 skewed in a particular direction but that doesn't mean it's not valuable in terms of how you look at a story but they didn't even do that they didn't even get into that it was just this really ham-handed mantra that they were chanting it was lazy and it it's really a, I, i'm going to i'm going to interrupt you for half a second and say two things Two weeks ago, I saw something else that was really upsetting when I was uh, cruising through looking for another hockey game and stumbled upon PBS, and it happened to be Frontline. And PBS was promoting three or four of the new shows. Every one of the new shows was related to the war industry or the war effort or terrorism or something like that. Yeah. And then Frontline came on, and they did this dreadful attack called the Revenge of Putin. <laughs> it was just god awful they even had some psychiatrist who went back to when he was a child and developed his hatred for america as a child i mean it was it was one of the most embarrassing things i ever saw and it's only the second time i've ever written a nasty letter to them but back to you and and this well, well, i want to get to you know, the one thing that to keep in mind i've you know, i've been writing a lot about the defense budget re recently and the thing that has stuck out to me is that the last Obama defense budget was 618, 618 billion. That's just the defense budget. That's not all defense related spending. When you start to bring in the Department of Homeland Security and Veterans Affairs and the Department of Energy for nuclear weapons and all that, that usually comes to about uh, 1.1, $1 1.3 trillion a year. So if you just go to the straight defense budget, there were sequesters put in place uh, years ago, put a caps on caps on defense on defense spending and all spending, and you know Trump wanted to blow by those things, and so did Mad Dog Mattis, and they've gotten it up to uh, uh, they've gotten it they increased it by eighty billion dollars. 
Okay, so it's an $80 billion increase. So just the year-over-year increase from Obama's last budget to Trump's budget is almost double the entire defense budget of Russia. Wow. Wow. So you know, we, so now just when we talk about you know, you know the the oh the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. You know, I think the thing that really sticks in the craw of a lot of the national security state is that they spent you know, like you know, a few million dollars to put a bunch of trolls in a building in a bunch of internet trolls in a building in St. Petersburg. And all of America is running around like a chicken with his head cut off because of some internet trolling. And I think that it's kind of a big joke because, as you pointed out, the United States has been the number one meddler, the meddler-in-chief for, for many, many years. You mentioned Mark Twain, who was really, really upset in particular about the way the United States was getting involved in the Philippines and handling the Philippines. And we just saw uh, last week with the Iranian protests – how everybody jumped on. We're oh look, the regime is going to collapse, and we have to support. What business is it the United States to get involved in the uh, in the, in whatever internal affairs are going on inside Iran as relates to? Uh, we we all we already in 1953 and 54 right. murdered Mossadegh, who was a democratically elected uh, president of the country, and bragged about it, and they've done it all throughout Latin America. And, and I, I want to get back, though, to, to well, your I just story. Let me finish one, one, one thing, because this is the point that you were making. I think this is where the rubber meets the road, is that Leslie Stahl, when making these accusations last night, was completely ill-prepared Ill to hear, oh, yeah, well, she got a whole dose of whataboutism. Really? You're saying this about us? Well, what about you? What about your media? What about the way America operates? And this actually happened to Nikki Haley when she hastily called this UN Security Council to talk about the crisis inside Iran. And uh, Russia and like four other countries said, oh, really? Well, what about the Ferguson problem? What about Black Lives Matter? What about all the different protest movements inside the United States? Should the U UN be taking those things up? And pretty much shut Nikki Haley down because – the United States right now is at a point – you talk about winning the war of words. I think it's really also about the um, inability of the United States to any longer sustain the massive gap between its stated ideals and its actual behavior around the world. Well, behavior is everything, absolutely everything. It's an indication of our character, and actually yep. we, have, we have no character. But when I shared your story, and as you, as you know, I'm not being a – I didn't vote for anyone because Jack Parr says it only encourages them to run again. But right. I pointed out that the media never bashed Bush for lying us into Iraq, murdering millions, creating suicides 15 a day in our soldiers. They never bashed Clinton for turning the White House into a whorehouse or for what he did in Waco, which was totally unnecessary. 87 people murdered, 27 of them children. They never bashed them the way they're bashing Trump. And Trump has done nothing I see as ominous as that by far. He's not even – I mean he talks about having a big button you know, to retaliate against, right. against Korea. But that's to make up for his little hands. The button's the same size as the Korean, except his hands are smaller than the Korean president's hands. That's all.
Well, you asked me what got me riled up about this, and I think you make some really interesting points, but there's a there's kind of a conundrum here. One, one of the reasons they never – and there were some mea culpas, these half-handed mea culpas after it turned out that the Iraq war was a complete debacle and after Katrina kind of blew the, the, the lid off of the Bush administration. All of a sudden the media said, oh, OK, well, now we can go ahead and attack him. Well, one of the reasons they didn't want to they didn't want to really give a full-throated attack of the Bush administration's case for war is because they aided and abetted it. I mean, they they sold it. I mean, the New York Times, aluminum tubes, aluminum tubes. That was that Ms. Was, Miller. Well, not Ms. just Ms. Miller. It it was the whole it was it was Michael Gordon. It was it was the whole apparatus of the New York Times that got behind the war effort uh, or the at least the case the effort to make the case for the war. In the in the instance of in the case of Donald Trump, the thing that frustrates me is that they spend so much time on triviality. So today I you know I flick around. I was watching RT and doing some other things as I was preparing some uh, for a nut to write another piece, and I decided to go over to MSNBC. And there they are. They they start an hour and a new block of of programming. And what do they have? They have two talking heads talking about a two-day-old tweet and speculating on Donald Trump's state of mind. Are they advancing the story? Because that's the, really the key. That's the first question I ask whenever I look at a news report. Is this advancing the story? In other words, are the, is there new information? Are there new facts on the ground? Is there new corroborating evidence that takes the story from point A to point B or from point B to point C and so on? If that's not happening... I immediately become suspect of what's going on in that in that so-called news story. Because if you're not advancing the story, then that means you're just talking about something that's already been established. And if that's what you're doing, that kind of indicates to me that what you're doing is filling dead air with hot air. And and really what it is is it's you know there's a lot of talk about, you know, there's the deep state and the media's out to get him and all this. I think it's actually something that's sadly much more banal than some plot to undermine Donald Trump, I think it's money. I think they do it for money. I think that ever since Donald Trump came down and rescued the entire cable news business, which was in deep, deep trouble, particularly MSNBC and CNN, Fox was doing okay, but it wasn't doing great prior to Trump coming down the, the escalator back in, what was it, 2015 now? It, was like, it seemed like years ago. It seemed like a century ago. Um, but Fox... You know, was that about a million viewers a day? CNN was pulling, lucky to pull, like 464,000, 500,000 viewers a day. MSNBC was under 400,000 viewers a day. N neither of them were turning a profit. Guess what? They are, their ratings are through the roof. Their profits have been through the roof. Why? Because they are showing, and you said the Kardashians, they are showing a sort of a, a, a half-hearted, poorly scripted daily soap opera that is the Trump show. And and it's not being I, I you know the thing I wrote today was if the media is out to get Trump, they suck at it. And you know, you mentioned that he's not doing anything that's that's rises to the level of the Iraq war. That's certainly true. Although under Donald Trump, airstrikes are up radically civilian casualties are up radically the united states now has special operation forces actively working on a regular basis inside yemen the united states has special operations forces 
uh, at an increased mission pace around the Horn of Africa. The United States has no, now— that, Joe, that's extremely true, but that's not why the, that's not what the media mentions when they start exactly. hammering them. And this is what's driving me up the wall. <laughs> it's like if you if you really wanted to go after him, how about going after guys like Alex Azar, the guy who's going to head the, the Health and Human Services Agency, who was a, a executive at Eli Lilly? Who who likes Eli Lilly? Eli Lilly is is scumbaggery central. They're kind of like Monsanto. We don't hear, we don't spend. I didn't see anybody spending an hour on on that nomination or on Ryan Zinke at Department of Interior, who has so many shady connections and so many crony capitalist connections. Makes your head spin. Nothing on and that. And they didn't. And they didn't spend much time on his nominee for the uh, for the Supreme Court. <laughs> so this is what I'm getting at: is that there are all of these actual policies that if you decided, hey, you know what? Let's go find out what's going on inside Yemen, or let's actually. Let's go to you know he's at, he's got a little thing going with with Pakistan. He's gonna he says he's gonna cut off sec, uh, security funding. Why don't you have a team on a plane to Pakistan to find out what's going on in Pakistan? And for that matter, if you're so interested in what's going on inside Russia, and Russia is such a is is such a looming threat to the United States, how many reports have we seen from inside Russia about what the Russian people are actually like, what they have to say? what it's like inside Russia, what life is like inside Russia. You don't see any of that. What you see are people sitting in chairs under Klieg lights, blathering. Well, you know and what? It's it's like he's politics, Hulk Hogan, or gorgeous George. It's somebody people either love or they hate, but they, they are attracted to him. And you said, of course, it's about money. So this would bring me to, you know, Americans don't read, and yet... It's running away, right? You have to make a reservation to buy Fire and Fury. Right. And then those respected critics who are interested in writing and literature talk about how dreadfully it is written, how poorly it is written, and that it reads like fiction. And, and still it's flying off of the bookshelves. Why? Well, this is a, a bit of a conundrum, too, because it's riddled with errors. Now I've read, I think four, I'm four chapters in. Um, I've got, a, I got a, uh, access to it online because I can't, as you say, I can't get a hard copy. Is how I'd prefer to read it because then I could mark it up in the in the margins. Um, he gets he gets things wrong, dates, names. I mean, obviously Henry Holt was so hot to get this thing out there that they didn't even take the time to hire fact checkers and an editor to go through it, which doesn't bode well for Michael Wolf and his credibility, a guy who is not known for being the most credible in the past. Uh, I think it's because it's it's actually of a part and parcel of everything that Donald Trump is it, and how we experience him. You have to remember, Donald Trump is a guy who in the 80s posed as his own press agent, created a fake <laughs> identity called John Barron, and he would call the tabloids in New York to tout his sexual exploits and promiscuity so that they would write about it in the tabloids, so that they would put it on page six in the post. So Donald Trump is one of those guys who he's part of is that adage. It's not just there's no such thing as bad publicity, but he would rather have bad breath than no breath at all. At well, least if you're it, talking, it worked. It right? got him elected. It got and it worked. And it, he's 
it's like the National Enquirer is the president. And here's the thing. I, the way I look at it is that when I walk through a checkout stand and I see the National Enquirer there, I think, isn't it amazing that people still buy it, that it's actually still a profitable business? Does that mean that we blame the, the publisher of the National Enquirer or on some level are we the people who buy the National Enquirer also to blame? Because I truly believe this about Donald Trump. He is the, the greatest example that I've seen in my lifetime that we have a representative democracy because I think he actually represents – what America is in the aggregate better than ever any president I've seen in my lifetime. You know, I think you're absolutely right. He is the perfect reflection of what the United States is today. You know, you were talking earlier about um, about the military and the military spending, and he imp imp increased it about $80 billion. I just want to remind you of something. It's just a couple of days before 911. you may recall that Donald Rumsfeld went on national television and said they were going to have to audit the Pentagon because they've lost $3 trillion. Well, we never heard anything about that after 9-1-1 because the papers being audited were in Building 7, which mysteriously collapsed, being hit just by warm smoke. Now, there is no, <laughs> there, there is nothing in the media about America's increasing military budget 10 or 15 times higher than when we fought the Germans and the Japanese. But there's a friend of yours, Mickey Huff, who has this project censored. And he has out uh, this year uh, the 10 most underreported, unreported stories, most important stories in the United States last year. Well, the Pentagon lost $3 trillion three days before 9-1-1. They have just discovered that the military, the Army, has just been spending $6 trillion that they cannot track down. Where can you lose $6 trillion? Well, we have hundreds of millions of dollars that were flown into Afghanistan and Iraq that disappeared. You know, it, the the military budget is a strange thing. And I actually recently wrote a piece about it, uh, about, about military Keynesianism and the military budget being the the largest jobs program, the most expensive jobs program in the history of mankind. And I think one of the things that I find about the defense budget one of the things I find interesting about the defense budget is that we tend to look at the military industrial complex and we think about these kind of cigar chomping former generals and these corporate titans and they get together on golf courses and they design uh, a system that makes them rich, that keeps us in war, and Americans are sort of, sort of hapless uh, in the wake of this incredible power. But I actually think that that's not entirely true. I think that, yes, those people are there and they do chomp cigars together and go to golf courses and cut deals. But also the Pentagon employs 2.6 million people directly. There are hundreds of thousands of people getting retirement benefits and medical benefits, veterans. You also have 
millions of people working in ancillary industries around the Pentagon. So every, you know, you go, I, there's a site called Defense Link. It's no longer called Defense Link for some reason, but if you type in Defense Link, it takes you there. That's what it used to be called. And that's where the Pentagon announces all of the contracts it issues five days a week. There's, there's a set of announcements every single day. And if you go there, and I went there for this piece and, and explored one day's announcements, so a portion of them, you find that those contracts are peppered all around the United States. And it's not just the big Raytheons and, the, and, uh, uh, and Boeing and all the usual suspects. There are all these other companies, these little companies and medium-sized medium companies. And those are companies that probably popped up simply to feed a need that the Pentagon had. So every time a, a patch goes on a soldier, somewhere in America, somebody put that, sewed that patch together and they got a job. And if you look at the way there was a really fascinating thing when Donald Trump uh, went to Qatar to sell uh, to sell F F-35s, one of the greatest boondoggles in the history of the the Pentagon. And of course, they said, "Oh yes, Donald Trump, we'll buy we'll buy F-35s from you." And everybody's buying F-35s from America. Why? Because it keeps America happy, not because it's a it's a good plane. It's a plane that the engines just catch on fire if the wind goes in the wrong direction. It can't fly in inclement weather. The, they've had to keep redesigning the, the, the cockpit and the helmet because actually the plane, if it, if it flies at a certain speed in a certain way, can kill the pilot. <laughs> um, so this plane is a boondoggle, but of course they, you know, Cutter bought it and the ambassador wrote, immediately put this tweet out and said, we've just created jobs in 45 states, you know, so well, it, it it's certainly it's certainly true that Donald Trump's uh, inauguration of president as president is the biggest story probably not only this year but probably in the last dozen years. And the absence of reporting about the military budget that you're talking about is probably the biggest unreported story. But another thing about money. First of all, when I was researching the 10 top stories, do you know that the New York Times no longer, if you Google the New York Times, they do not list the nation's top 10 stories anymore. To show you what a populist paper they're becoming because they're losing readership, they now put up the 10 most read stories. And you know the most read stories in the New York Times? They are all about how to have better health. And if you, go, <laughs> right. if you if yeah. you go to the Washington Post, they don't even bother to do that. You cannot get either the 10 best stories or the 10 most read stories. But what keeps popping up all over the place, if you go to Google, which is where people go, if people go to YouTube now, it seems if they want to find out information, if you go to Google and Google their top 10 stories, one of the stories that comes up, one of the stories that comes up is about Bitcoin. I haven't the foggiest idea what these cryptocurrencies are. Do you? Now, this is blockchain technology, and it's, it's, it's an oddity. And really what it is is it's, it's the valuation of a series of transactions that have hard signatures attached to them. All well, in, it is totally it's totally beyond me and anybody I I think I think maybe one or two people listening might understand what cryptocurrency is. Anyway, there's somebody on line one, Joe, who wants to talk to you. Uh, go ahead, line one. John and Hello? Joe, this is Mickey, Mickey from Project Censored. 
Oh my gosh, Nikki. Oh, we were just talking about you. Say hello to your your pal Joe Satilli. Uh, how's hey. going, Nikki? <laughs> going pretty well, Nikki. man. How you doing? Well, we're doing terrific. We spent the first half hour of the show talking about the uh, the most talked about story, of course, being the inauguration of Donald Trump as president. And the biggest non-story was brought up because of Project Censored, your wonderful outfit, because the second story that you have out there is the fact that evidently the Army this time, they lost, Rumsfeld lost $3 trillion dollars at the Pentagon just before 911 now you report there's 6 trillion missing or the army is spending 6 trillion dollars yeah that's all money that goes it's it's basically money that is coming going down a black hole somewhere where there's no auditing no accountability um, this was an updated article on previous ones this one particularly by Dave Lindorf who's a great independent journalist out of Philadelphia um, this can't be happening is his website um, yeah, and we've covered that story before, but it's just an ongoing fiasco. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the two of you fellows uh, likely could correct me if I'm wrong. But one of the more recent stories I saw was, in fact, that there were $21 trillion that, in fact, oh, were missing from uh, a lack of accounting. And in other words, it's not it's not that it's like, oh, um, you know, they, they took the money and put it in some, you know, uh, piggy bank somewhere it's that they don't have any kind of real oversight or accountability for where all the money goes and you mean it's not going into one of these airplanes that joe just mentioned that doesn't fly it, 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 well, who yeah. knows where it's going that's part of the yeah. problem and then there's black budget yeah, there is oh black budget. And there's God. also direct accounting on things like the F-35 because there's a great deal of oversight. And one of the problems that they've had in the Pentagon is that they are, I think, in like year – Mickey might know this uh, specifically. I think they're in year six of trying to go to an, a new computer system, and they yeah, cannot – They can't get this thing off the ground. So in lieu of this computer system, this new – which would be supposedly ostensibly track a lot of these purchasing processes – it's not it's not working and it's not happening it's it's being it's dragging out over and over time so now there's this gap between the two between the expenditures and the and the budgetary process and the spending and the ability of a computer to actually log each transaction uh mickey yeah. I, have, I have a question uh, i would really like to ask you as somebody who has really been doing this for years and years and you just do it so expertly if you look back at 2017, what is the unreported story that makes you the angriest? Would that be the one about lead in the water in Flint, Michigan, or what would it be? You know, that was our our top story was about water contamination beyond Flint, and in fact, it's even beyond lead. And it, it's the bigger story there is collapse of infrastructure, but you know, it's because of the related issue that. JP was just talking about with the Pentagon money and billion-dollar airplanes that don't fly, that we're not spending money on the infrastructure. We're not spending money on making sure we have clean water and, and high-quality food and high-speed public transit and these kind of things. And that in of itself is, you know, a four-decade-long slow-motion neoliberal train wreck that the corporate media has been cheerleading relentlessly. And so that bigger picture of the decline of the middle and working class, 
the bloating of the military budget and really the, the, the jingo, the ongoing incessant jingoism, particularly since 9-11, has really made the United States and the world a much more dangerous and, and inhospitable place. But if there's really well, a story I, I, that, that, I absolutely that, agree with you. If, uh, Mickey, where can mm-hmm. people go to read uh, to read your journal? Because we have a couple of callers waiting. Fantastic. I'm glad to be on. Just go to projectcensored.org. You can find all of our stories. You can find our radio shows, our films, all the work we do. Projectcensored.org. And if you tune into the show later this week, Joe's going to be on with us. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. <laughs> Continued great work and a happy new year, Mickey. Thank you for calling in. I really appreciate it. Good Take luck care. to you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we have another caller. Hi, this is uh, Don Jeffrey. Oh, Don, how are you and where are you? <laughs> how you doing? I, I, I'm in Fairfax County, Virginia. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for calling in. I guess you might be calling in because one of the stories that was supposed to make news but just doesn't seem to be making as much news as it should be might be the the release uh, that Trump announced of all of the CIA files related to the assassination of John Kennedy. Would you like to comment on that? Sure. Well, certainly I've felt for a long time that all the files should be released. I don't know why any would be withheld at this point or really at all if Oswald had been a lone assassin. But, uh, yeah, it's hard to support too much of what Trump is doing these days, but as long as everything is released, then we'll have to see how redacted they are. You know, there's a lot of files to get through, but if they're, if they're redacted to any great extent, I'm not sure what they're doing. And I'm also not sure at this point what uh, what file would be out there that would be a smoking gun. I mean, to people like me and you that know a lot about the case, certainly – we can find some nuggets, but for the general public, I'm not so sure uh, anything is going to be noteworthy enough to, to get the, the attention of those who aren't already interested in it. And, and why, why do you think it's uh, somehow drifted away? Do you know, on Google, I was just mentioning to uh, Joe that the only place you can really get a reflection of what America's looking at in the way of news stories, one of the top news stories, of course, was... Uh, was Bitcoin, and one of their other bigger stories was the birth of a giraffe in a zoo. That was number five. That was the most Googled story of the year <laughs> in, the, in the United States. But nothing about the CIA files. Why do you think this is drifting away, and do you think really that this was the last hurrah for any justice or any real investigation into the John Kennedy assassination? Well, I hope not, but it's hard to be optimistic at this point. But I think it's part of the general dumbing down of the trend we see as we drift towards idiocracy. And certainly uh, the way Trump acts half the time is the tweeter-in-chief and the thing he throws out and his enemies throw back. It's, it's kind of a you know a, a sixth-grade-level uh, mudslinging. It's not even the usual mudslinging that you see in politics. So I think people are just—they've been dumbed down to such an extent. I, w- I would expect the only way you could really get the most— most of the public interested in the JFK assassination again would be to have uh, the Kardashians somehow, you know, <laughs> something like that to be to, to be become interested. And I, I don't think that's very likely, but I I think that's about where it's at. Or maybe the you know the Real Housewives or something that somehow they could make an issue of it as best as they could because people just it's 
we've become just such a superficial culture now that uh, something that it's not that it's deep, but it's it's of a political nature, and also people I think don't want to. That's negative. You know, you can see Paris Hilton kind of going, ew, you know, I don't want to hear that. And you're going on to something positive. So I think that's that's the problem we face. We try to interest people in these subjects. Uh, they just kind of want to go on to something, like you said, to, to go on and, and uh, look at a cat video or the birth of a giraffe or something. Well, let me postulate uh, something. Go ahead, uh, Another explanation, which is, and John knows this, in, when you're talking about, the, about media and television in particular, you have your key demo. And, you know, you're looking for people, you know, at the end of their teens through the age of 35. That's your key demo. That's those are the most valuable viewers. Those are the people that you want to capture because those are the people that advertisers want to capture. And when you think about that age group, as opposed to us, I was born in 1969. Um, those of us for whom John Kennedy's assassination, we either lived through it or we were born immediately after and his assassination was a real tangible thing. Think about now that the millennial generation, they're growing up in a world that in which 9-11 happened when they were either a child or right before they were born. That's where we're getting to so that their seminal event is something that makes the Kennedy assassination seem ever more distant because there is this psychological marker in the ground called 9-11 that has so radically changed the way America feels to them as opposed to us because they don't remember, they don't have a taste of an America that felt like America the way that we have a taste of it, or at least a, you know we had, the, we had the lingering feeling of it heading into the 70s, maybe little bits of it into the 80s. They're living in a totally different America that has been so dismoored from the values that we recall being America's values, that maybe it's really just a matter of um, state of of a sort of a historical context for them as opposed to indifference. Well, I think you're right. Yeah, you know, I, I would I'm, agree. I'm I'm very very grateful, quite frankly, that I lived when I lived, especially in the United States, because I remember. I remember intellectuals in television. I remember when there were labor unions. I remember when there were there were socialists in the country who could run for office and win. As a matter of fact, uh, Norman Thomas, who was running for president as a socialist uh, just around the time of the uh, Second World War, it was his social security program that FDR lifted to save capitalism when he instituted uh, the New Deal in the United States. But I want to ask you, both of you, did you got, because one of the big stories, of course, was Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey and the Me Too thing with the, with the women. Did any of you watch uh, Oprah Winfrey last night or on the Golden Globes? Of course. Okay. Uh, did you happen to see no, it? I, 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 did not, no, I did not watch it, no. Okay, well, I have, uh, Joe, your, your, your impressions of what it was she said, and I'm going to give you my quick impressions of Oprah because Facebook is now being flooded with Oprah Winfrey <laughs> for president and vice president, uh, the Democrats, Ron Paul, Bernie Sanders, okay? So your impressions of last night's speech. Well, I and think you know, it, was, it was a speech exactly like that. 
that Barack Obama gave at the Democrat National Convention about 16 years ago that made him the nominee and made him eventually the president that he was not. Well, and I now think- we've got a groundswell movement for Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, a groundswell in 12 hours, a 12-hour groundswell, um, which just tells you where we are as a people. Again, getting back to this is truly a representative democracy. Um, I think sort of the the sad coda about of this speech is that I thought at the time that she was making a statement about women being systematically abused and sexually harassed in a patriarchal society and that it was that women were, were gonna, they'd had enough and time was up she said time's up that was sort of the theme that a lot of hollywood's women were carrying this time's up it's over which is it's kind of funny and kind of sad that that actually that message got lost in this stampede to anoint her the celebrity showdown challenger for Donald Trump in 2020. But I think it shows exactly where we are as a body politic, that celebrity really, to use a pun, trumps everything now. And well, the- you know, you know that there are uh, leading members of the assassination community, Jefferson Morley is one of them, who is out there for pushing now for her and Bernie Sanders. So to Jefferson Morley and all of those people who think that she is should be anointed, this is how I feel about Oprah Winfrey. She was probably the wealthiest female in America. She is one of the owners of a major network. She has her own network. If she wants to uplift blacks, if she wants to inform blacks and wants to improve America, on this network that she owns, why doesn't she take a few hours to have people on to expose the real murderers of Dr. Martin Luther King? I mean, that is still a cold case at the Justice Department, and Coretta King successfully sued the federal government for conspiracy to murder her husband, and she won the case. William Pepper was the attorney. Oprah will not have William Pepper on her network. Okay, that's the first thing. Now, the next thing is this. America has had a lot of great artists and political activists, but by far the greatest political artist activist in America was Paul Robeson. And he did it alone before there was a Martin Luther King or We Shall Overcome or a Civil Rights Movement. What Oprah, and I have written to her twice, she must do two-hour special on how the FBI and the federal government destroyed that man's life, that man's career, literally poisoned him and murdered him. And until Oprah Winfrey could start pointing out the flaws that have happened to this country and to her people, she does not even deserve to be considered to be sitting in the White House. Well, then, then John, I've got an alternative for you because Dwayne The Rock Johnson is considering running for president. (laughs) What would happen to this country if we get a billionaire celebrity as president? I've always imagined that. We're going from one billionaire to another. I mean, how how ridiculous. I I mean, Oprah is... Oprah's the perfect kind of leftist that we have nowadays. As you mentioned, she cares nothing about Martin Luther King's assassination, Paul Robeson, or anything like that. 
and she would never criticize the FBI. Or but, but she'll play the identity politics to the hilt, and that's what it will become. As she, she'll as uh, as, as noted before, I mean, she's probably the richest woman in the world, certainly one of the richest. She's a billionaire. Yes, she but is. The idea she is. That she could be represented, but she'll be represented as an, as an underdog, as an outcast, <laughs> the richest woman in the world because she's black and a woman. And then, therefore, any criticism of her, which she's kind of a combination of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, where you could be called racist or sexist, and there will be no criticism allowed, as long as she toes the line, which I'm confident she will. No, well, I, and I, the one thing I, it would do is it would extend, you know, my experience, you, John, you said that uh, the inauguration of Donald Trump was the, the story of 2017, and I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, that is an, it's an amazing thing that that happened. What I have noted is somebody who does the daily news cycle and has been doing it for many, 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 many years, is that since Donald Trump came, my life has changed radically. The pace of what I have to do has changed radically, and I've seen the news cycle change radically. It has become a a nonstop soap opera. It's a television show. And I think one of the appeals of Oprah Winfrey, beyond the fact that she uh, would be a a counterpoint, a celebrity counterpoint that people would love to see Donald Trump try to knock down and give a nickname to, for many of the reasons that Don just said, you can't give her a nickname because it could be toxic um, and, and cause blowback. But also think about from the media's point of view, if you want a dream matchup, ka-ching, 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 gentlemen, start your cash registers, a, an Oprah Donald Trump matchup in 2020 would probably be the most watched television show in in history, and it would be going on every single day. And and Les Moonves, who is making right now almost 60 million dollars a year at CBS, you know, we talk about guys like Jamie Dimon being these titans of the you know these titans uh, of Wall Street. Les Moonves makes almost three times what Jamie Dimon of uh, J.P. Morgan makes. So these these folks in the media would be making so much money. It is so in their interest to have that kind of matchup that it almost feels inevitable. Well, you know, you know, there was a time when I was a lot when I was a lot younger. There was a time when during the 30s and the 40s that there were a lot of strong social movements and there was a lot there were a lot of writing and talking about changing the system improving the system there was a lot of great intellectual debate you heard it between Gore Vidal and William F uh, Buckley but they and, and people thinking of taking to the streets now you think it is 2018 people are outraged at what is happening in America whether they're pro Trump or they're not pro-Trump, they're still outraged at the state of that this country is in, and they are willing to sit back and wait for two more years to show have the fat lady finally sing? I mean, <laughs> I, mean I just can't believe it. I just well, don't understand well, I think, I think why folks... Go ahead, Donald. No, I, 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 I think an Oprah-Donald Trump matchup would... would would maybe finish off what's left of any unity in America. I think you talk about it causing even more division because the lines would break down. And I, I, I really think Oprah would win because she would get an overall, she'd get overwhelmingly black support and overwhelmingly support of, of women voters. And uh, much well, more so. And not only that, the, the truth is that Oprah is extremely verbal. 
I mean, she yeah. could talk 24 hours a day without a script. She's a very, very, very smart lady. There's she no would run circles that. around Donald Trump. Oh, she would totally. Yes, yes. Yeah, she would. Yeah, and then, of course, if there happened to be a journalist who uh, spoke up for people like myself who said, well, why don't you look into the murder of Martin Luther King? She would find a way to discredit that person or flip that person off verbally so that people would not like him and listen to anybody like that. She is an extremely bright lady. And it's these bright folks that are the most frightening. It's not the idiots that scare me. It's the smart ones that scare me. When you look at the political scene right now, is there anyone vote that you could vote for whom you respect? whom you like, who you admire? I mean, I don't even hear from well, Ralph Nader anymore. Well, I, th I think there's, a, there's a, a black woman out there, ironically, who is uh, very qualified and would be great, and that's uh, Cynthia McKinney. I voted for her oh, in 2008. I, 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 I agree with you 100%. Cynthia wonderful. was probably one of the best Congress people we ever yep. had in this country. It certainly was. I mean, you know, and I, and I, never, I didn't tell this story before, but I tried to... Uh, my connections with Roger Stone, I just kind of, Cynthia, Cynthia McKinney actually told me on Facebook, she would have been, because I just had a brainstorm and I thought, wow, what if Donald Trump, before he picked Pence and made that awful choice, if he picked someone like Cynthia McKinney as his running mate, that would have been a unifying ticket. And she was very interested. She told me, and I had a contact in the Trump campaign that I reached out to and they shot it right down. And I kind of was very yeah. diplomatic, but she would have taken that. And can you imagine that would have taken away any charges of racism or sexism against Trump? Well, not only and, that, it would have probably saved Trump's life because nobody's going to shoot him to have exactly. You mean the Dan Quayle insurance policy principle? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dan Quayle. That, that, that's really funny. But look what happened to uh, Henry Wallace. Henry Wallace, who was vice president under FDR, was probably one of the brightest, most humane politicians we ever had. The same thing with Huey Long. Well, somebody shot Huey Long, but they didn't have to shoot Wallace when FDR got sick. What they did is they rigged the system so they could dump Wallace and get Harry Truman in there, a failed haberdasher. Yeah, well, that, that Wallace... That, that's one of the forks in the road that you can identify over the last hundred years in which America could have gone in one direction and, and did go in a different direction. Because I, would, I, I say to this day, it's a counterfactual, it's a historical counterfactual, but I do truly believe that had Henry Wallace been the vice president and become president, the Cold War would not have happened. That's right. Uh, Donald, the question I posed to, uh, to uh, Joe earlier, I posed to you since you have this wonderful book survival of the uh, richest uh first off tell people where they can get survival of the richest and do you know anything about bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies because i know people all around me who are rushing to buy this stuff and i don't think they understand it because i don't and i'm no dummy <laughs> Yeah, I don't understand it either. But the young people do. One of my one of my son's friends, uh, they tried to talk us into investing a uh, hundred dollars about five six years ago. When we were both uh, trying to help Ron Paul get elected, and uh, 
we, we bet one hundred dollars, but would it be worth two hundred thousand now? So it would have been a very small investment. And he, that guy supposedly has three hundred million last I heard. He didn't talk to me anymore. He's now one of the people I write about in Survival of the Richest, which is available on Amazon everywhere. Skyworks Publishing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I wish I understood. I've, I've thought about trying to you know to, to get into Bitcoin, but I think you'd have to probably go to Litecoin, and they have another one. They're coming up with new digital currency that again well, I don't well, understand, but it's cheaper. Uh, there's a new one called Ripple, I-R-I-P-P-L-E. Uh, my yes. uh, computer guru, David Lispie, is a genius at this. He's predicted all of this, and he's buying Ripple. He says because the banks are buying Ripple because that's how they transfer their money. Anyway, we've got to say good night, goodbye. Thank you so much, uh, Donald, for calling in. Thanks, Mickey, for doing that. Where can they get your uh, book, Donald, Survival of the Richest? Uh, it's on, available on Amazon, published by Skyhorse Publishing, and all the usual suspects. It's in uh, most of the Barnes & Noble stores, too, so uh, it, it's easy to find. That's great. And when your interview with Sean, uh, comes, Sean Stone comes out on Russian TV, it'll sell out. I hope so. And thanks for calling, and good luck yeah. to you. Joe, uh, you're going to be on Mickey Huff's show at the end of the week? Apparently. Uh, I So... I don't know the, the time of that. I will be on Ocelli tomorrow for a full hour, usually doing my one Tuesday a month. And go to newsvandal.com if you want to read the, the little ditty I just wrote today and sign up for the News Vandal Rundown. It has been redesigned so that it's mobile-friendly. It certainly is. You did an absolutely terrific job because now I no longer have to enlarge my screen in order to read it. It right. just rolls up automatically. Joe, thank you again. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you all for listening. And as Ed Murray used to say, good night and good luck.